Welcome to Today's Issues, offering a Christian response to the issues of the day. Here's your host, Tim Wildman, President of the American Family Association. And good Tuesday morning, everyone. And you're saying, that doesn't sound like Tim at all. Well, you're right. (laughs) Tim and Ed are taking the week off, Thanksgiving week off, and a bit of a news coup going on here. We got uh, news people that are taking over today's issues for a couple of days this week, and uh, happy to do so. And uh, also, we have a guest host coming to, who needs no introduction, but here I go. I'm going to introduce him anyway. Uh, good good friend of ours who comes on Tuesdays here in Today's Issues, Mr. Frank Turek. Good morning, Frank. Good morning, Fred. Great being with you all. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody this week. Yes, from the beautiful city of Charlotte, North Carolina. That's right, just south of Charlotte. we got a good show planned today, don't we? Oh, absolutely. We've got, uh, you know... There was a time, guys, when when you're in Thanksgiving week, like the news stopped, mm-hmm. and you were trying to scratch for things to put on the air and uh, do newscasts. Not anymore. Um, you know, where we are, I think, Frank, spiritually and otherwise, uh, there's just a lot going on, and we'll try to hit some of the, the high points uh, uh, over the next couple of days while we're here. That's right. But so much, and uh, certainly Thanksgiving. And, and, Frank, we want to have a discussion a little bit later in the program about those family gatherings that are coming up. Yeah, we got the top ten ways to advance the gospel at holiday dinners, so you don't want to go away. We're going to talk about at least five of them today and probably five tomorrow. All right, yeah, that that's important mm-hmm. because, you know, there, there's often, Frank, and, and uh, I want to introduce Chris Woodward, too. Mm-hmm. Who Good morning. Doing our news story. Christopher. Christopher, Christopher. yes. <laughs> Christopher. It's not just what my mama calls me. You know, uh-huh. There's a lot of tension, Frank, for a lot of families about, and they start talking about it weeks in advance. Well, you know, Aunt Martha's coming, and and mm-hmm. then there's Uncle George, and boy, you better not talk about that. He's uh, crazy. That's right. <laughs> so uh, that's a great topic, so we hope to get to that uh, in uh, in the next hour here in the program. But first... Uh, let's get to the news of the day. Like I say, there's a lot to talk about, Chris. Yes, uh, this is a pressing issue that impacts everybody listening to the sound of our voices, regardless of whether you're in a union or you've ever taken a train. Uh, the uh, Sheet Metal Air Rail and Transportation, or SMART Union, has rejected uh, that tentative labor agreement that Joe Biden celebrated a few months ago. Uh, and because of this, uh, that rail agreement that Biden celebrated a few months ago is up in the air again and le- le- causing us, rather, uh, to face another potential rail strike just before Christmas, which is the absolute worst time of the year to uh, talk about these things. Um, I'll get into a, a little bit of a reaction to here in a moment, but uh, can we play a clip, Adam? Okay. This is Biden back in September touting that tentative labor agreement between railroads and unions. Clip one. This agreement is a big win for America. Together, we reached an agreement. You reached an agreement that will keep our critical rail system working and avoid disruptions of our economy. And this is a win for tens of thousands of rail workers and for their dignity. Now, here we are, and that's uh, not the case anymore. No. uh, And Frank... Uh, I've noticed something, and, and it's not just Joe Biden, I guess. When politicians have good news, they love to talk about it. Uh, That's right. But I haven't heard Joe Biden mm-hmm. talk about the latest development, which is extremely serious. Uh, if they don't get a deal, uh, the railroads say this will cost the economy about $2 billion a day. A day? A day. Our economy's going to go off the rails then. <laughs> That's not good. That's not good. And what that means for, we have a story at uh, AFN mm-hmm. right now, on this, we're talking about, and a lot of people, Frank, don't think about these things, uh, such as uh, getting food mm-hmm. to our livestock so that mm-hmm. they have something to eat so that we can feed off the livestock. Uh, also, this is going to affect passenger rails because a lot of the passenger trains move on rails that are owned mm-hmm. by these railroads. Yeah, and then there's the Polar Express. What are we going to do about that at Christmas? <laughs> at Christmas? I mean, there's so many there's so many dominoes that are falling here, Fred and Chris. What are we going to do? I don't, I don't know what you know, what can we do about it other than pray it doesn't happen because right. obviously right now uh especially around Christmas, temperatures getting colder, people traveling, 
Uh, supply chain's going to be interrupted. This is going to be a problem not just for travel, but also for the travel of foodstuffs and supplies. So that's a, that's a big deal. Hopefully it can be worked out. To, uh, to your point there, Frank, I've got some audio from uh, the National Retail Federation, which is the lobbying arm of retailers, web and brick and mortar. Um, and uh, Jonathan Gold of National Retail Federation, he was part of a webinar that I attended last week. And uh, I asked the question, hey, you know, why should somebody who's not a member of a union, why should someone who's never taken a train, doesn't plan on taking a train, why should they care about and pay attention to this issue? Clip two. It's going to impact industries all across the board. It's going to impact workers, whether you're unionized or non-unionized, um, because if you're not able to get your goods, either again, either finished goods or inputs to production, you could have, have factories that are shutting down. Um, you know, farmers are going to lose out on being able to sell products overseas. You're going to have families that could be put in danger because they can't get chlorine to put into uh, clean drinking water systems. So this is going to be a significant impact across the country that's impacting whether you're unionized or non-unionized, you know, workers, families, and uh, localities, uh, you know, all across the country and impacting the just the health of the economy as we stand right now. So this could be pretty significant going going forward. I want to go back to something Frank had mentioned just a minute ago, because it, it's real easy um, to talk about this and, and complain saying, hey, you're, you know, you guys are holding out and you people are the problem or whatnot. But I, I do appreciate Frank mentioning here uh, that, you know, this is something to be in prayer about, because, look, uh, as we've already tried to explain here, this impacts everybody, mm. but it's really going to impact your business owner in the community uh, because he or she's not going to be able to get stock. Uh, food's going to be impacted, and certainly uh, I think, you know, at a time in which we're already gathering uh, to be with family and friends for Thanksgiving, certainly uh, let's remember to pray over this situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, I understand that in the past when there have been these threats of rail strikes that the the Congress – steps in and basically imposes a contract. Mm-hmm. Is, is that the case? Yes, it, it does appear that that will be the case if they don't agree to this in some sort of 11th hour situation. Um, back in the summer, uh, President Biden, through executive order, created a presidential emergency board or PEB, which is something any president is able to do when there's when labor talks are at an impasse. And so he formed a board uh, over the summer through executive order. They got together and they came up with this uh, series of recommendations. And uh, PEB, as it's called, uh, came up with, okay, union members are going to get a big raise. They're not going to get everything they're asking for. They're not going to get all the benefits they're asking for. But they're going to get a raise and they're going to get a bonus. There's going to be back pay involved. And as a result, even uh, Ray LaHood, who was the transportation secretary under President Obama, said last week, this is a good deal. Joe Biden and Secretary of Labor Marty Walsh, they have your back talking to labor people. You need to approve this. Uh, But as we talked about at the start of the show, apparently members of the Sheet Metal Air and Rail Transportation Union, or SMART, uh, believe otherwise. And they represent 28,000 conductors. It's not a small union. Um, so because one union is holding out here, all of them could go on strike. Wow. You know, it's interesting. You remember back 40 years ago, for those who were old enough like I am, when Ronald Reagan was faced with the air traffic controller strike. Right. He just said, well, obviously we're not shutting down all air traffic. <clears throat> the country would come to a standstill. I'm firing you guys. New guys are coming in. Yeah. Now, you know, I don't know if there's a parallel here, but this is one of those deals where – uh, you know, if these people go out on strike, everybody is affected in a big negative way. Mm-hmm. So someone's going to have to step in and say, sorry, that can't happen. I'm glad you brought that up, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and thinking about it. Everybody thought he was bluffing, mm-hmm. but he wasn't. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah. uh, and of course, he had a, a backup. I think there were air traffic controllers from, uh, from military, et cetera, et cetera, that came in. But uh we're living in a different day, I think, Frank. Uh, we mm-hmm. have uh, Democrats who are somewhat beholding to, to unions. So it's going to be interesting to see how this goes. If they get a big pay increase, you know how that, that gets filtered down to us, just you and me. Oh, sure. It's transportation costs. Are, when transportation costs go up, everything goes up because everything's transported. Uh, and so, you know, fuel prices up, uh, then you get transportation prices going up, which means food costs more, everything costs more. Now, I don't know the details. Maybe... Uh, maybe these these group of people deserve a raise at this point. I don't know, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, it, it, it higher costs are coming. Just get ready. Get ready for it. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, it is very rare that Democrats, any Democrat and any Republican, agree on something. 
But uh, this past weekend, Senators Tom Cotton, Republican from Virginia, and Mark Warner, a Democrat from Virginia, were on the Sunday talk shows, and they're very, very concerned about TikTok, uh, major social media, in particular what kids are getting from TikTok. And I was listening, guys, to an interview this morning on Fox & Friends with Kara Frederick. She is uh, with the Heritage Foundation, used to be uh, in in the intelligence community, so she knows something of what she speaks. And uh, she agrees with these two senators, Democrat and Republican. There are real dangers. A lot of it has to do with that basically, uh, she says, uh, the Chinese government uh, controls uh, TikTok and is listening and putting information out there that could be very harmful uh, to our kids. It's two cuts here. Cut number three first. Oh, it's absolutely massive. And there's no excuse at this point. We know from leaked data, from leaked audio, from reports that Chinese uh, officials via ByteDance, its parent company, have decided to monitor the specific locations of Americans. This was a Forbes article recently using the app TikTok. And we know that uh, engineers in China can access Americans' data uh, when they use this platform. So there's, there's no question. It is a CCP, a Chinese Communist Party spy app, and Americans are using it, they should get off. You know, Frank, uh, talk about age. Uh, I am of the age, when I was growing up, um, we had radio, and we had, I grew up in rural Canada, we had two television channels. That was it. That was the source of information, plus, of course, local newspapers. But today, uh, we have the good and the bad of big social media. Uh, you know, information at our fingertips, uh, but also uh, who controls social media controls the narrative many times. Yeah, and it's a blessing and a curse, as you put it, uh, because obviously there's a lot of evil out on the Internet, but you can also use it to spread the gospel, too. You can also yes. use it to spread good. Mm-hmm. So I understand why people want and should get off TikTok. On the other hand, our organizations on TikTok to try and counter the misinformation, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because there's always going to be people on there that we want to reach, and we've been able to do that to a certain extent. But, yeah, if you have a young person, uh, first of all, social media is a sewer most of the time. Uh, and it's – I mean, let's just take the transgender issue for a second, Fred. You know there's been like a 6,000% increase over the past decade of young girls claiming to be trans. 6,000%. How do you think that came about? That wasn't – that hasn't come about because there's something new in the water. That's come about because of social media. It's a social contagion. There's no better way or faster way to get approval, and that's what you want as a kid, than to say you're trans. Everyone's going to applaud you. Anybody who says what you're doing is going to hurt yourself is going to be shouted down or canceled. So if you want to get approved, you just claim to be trans, and everyone goes, oh, how wonderful, how brave. Even the president of the United States has said this nonsense, right? Uh, and, and so this is all on social media. If you want to protect your kids, you've got to restrict them on social media. You just have to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Chris, uh, one of the things that uh, Kara Frederick was talking about this morning is the political influence uh, of TikTok mm-hmm. and uh, the fact that uh, I think she mentioned the age range of 18 to 26, somewhere in there, that most of these young people are getting their news information, what's going on in the world, whether it's Ukraine, whether it's you know political, the election campaign, mm-hmm. they're getting it from TikTok. But there's a, gee whiz, here's shocking breaking news, that there's a liberal bend to what they're getting, the information. Yeah. 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 How are they getting information on no. the Ukraine war? Somebody dancing? Is Putin <laughs> dancing the news? I... <laughs> yeah, I, that's it. Exactly. How does that happen? I uh, know. But I, I tell you, you know, what Kara Frederick was saying, too, mm-hmm. that it is being used uh, by Barack Obama and uh, his colleagues mm-hmm. and President Joe Biden has a vehicle to convince people that, let's say, for instance, and politically, uh, I read something this morning that absolutely shocked me, guys. In this past election, over 500 LGBTQ candidates won elections. Mm-hmm. 10% of the California legislature is now LGBTQ. Uh, they talked about LGBTQ people getting elected to school boards. Listen, they are politically active 
they have their agenda out there, and Chris, TikTok mm-hmm. is just one of those vehicles being used. Yeah, and I don't think it's any stretch to say that uh, Obama and other people that you know uh, he runs with uh, are using social media to their advantage. And I say that because uh, when he ran for president uh, in 2008, Barack Obama was very successful in using a new thing called Facebook. Uh, it was still new back then. Uh, and then he, he had a social media team uh, that was able to use things like uh, YouTube. Uh, Twitter was kind of getting, you know, going around. Uh, there were there were all kinds of new things with social media that he was able to use to his advantage uh, that John McCain had never heard of. And probably no one in the war room at McCain headquarters even thought of using. So Obama was instrumental in reaching out to the hearts and minds of young people through social media. He met them where they were. And that's part of why he was able to be president for two terms is because he got the young people on his side. And people are still using that as a lesson on how to reach young people today. Um, and also, as far as young people getting your, you know, getting their news on, on TikTok, as unfortunate as that is, there's a lot of older generations that are getting their news on Facebook. And Lord knows there is a bunch of garbage on Facebook yes. as well that uh, people are getting misled by every day. So social media is out there and people are... There is nothing wrong with social media. It's an amoral issue that people are using for immoral purposes. And Amen. we need, as the body of Christ, as conservatives, uh, to say this is not right and here's why. Um, so that way we can be out there in the community while they're pushing this stuff. Chris, Chris, don't worry. Uh, Mitch McConnell has recently announced that in 2024, uh, the Republicans are going to give two free weeks of AOL oh. to anybody that signs up. I still RNC, have some of those so. CDs. Yeah. Use them as coasters. <laughs> That's right. Two free weeks of AOL. Yeah. Don't worry. We're on the cutting edge yeah. now. For the young for the young listeners, I know on occasion we have kids, you know, listening with their mom and dad, maybe homeschoolers and stuff like that. Uh, there were these things back in the day called magazines, and they came in these big plastic pouches. And included with that uh, magazine uh, were these little circular discs called CDs. And you put them in a computer because back then they had a CD-ROM drive. What? And you could you could you could get online for a certain period of time as long as that CD was in your computer. Yeah, go ahead, make us feel old. You know, <laughs> hey, listen. The flip side of all of this on social media, Frank, is mm-hmm. the fact that uh, Elon Musk, Elon Musk, and uh, and uh, his media platform, Twitter, is has got the left wing journalism community in a total dither. Because, hang on to your seat here. He wants Twitter to return to being a form where more than one opinion on an issue is allowed. Are you uh, crazy? <laughs> Fred, the what's wrong horror. with this guy? Doesn't he know that democracy means only one opinion can be stated? Come on. <laughs> they were going crazy the other day when he restored Donald Trump's Twitter account. Now, I don't know uh-huh. whether Donald Trump is going to use it or not. Uh-huh. Uh, that that yeah, remains to be seen, but they they just think it's such a terrible thing. Well, according to the Babylon Bee, 13 billion people have since died since uh, since uh, uh, Musk reinstated Trump on Twitter. It's just 13 billion people have just have just died because of it. Just... Well, Babylon Bee is one of those accounts that's been restored as mm-hmm. well. Yes, you know that's such a funny story because there's so many aspects to this Twitter, Frank. I... I just got a chuckle last week when these employees uh, got so upset uh, Mm -hmm. because, first of all, they're going to have to show up at the office a few days a week. Oh, yeah. And and also they weren't allowed to wear their pajamas to work. That's right. (laughs) That's why the Babylon Bee now has a headline, 10 totally unreasonable work expectations Musk is implementing at Twitter. And number one, Fred, is (laughs) you have to complete your assigned task. Seriously? All of them? Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorites last week was the hey, we're not going to pay for your lunch anymore. Oh, that's right. Like the horror, you know. And you and you must work more days than the number of days you have off. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it's and it, and here's the it says that means the majority of your week will be spent working. <laughs> Cruel and unusual punishment. And 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 the and the left wing is just going ballistic over this. Frank, yes. you know, we, we laugh about it, but there's a serious mm-hmm. side to this. There is this culture, workplace culture, mm-hmm. that has just gone totally off the rails. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the pandemic is to blame for some of it, but hey, we're we're over that now. We ought to be moving on. Yeah. Sixty two years ago. Uh, we had a guy that was elected to office, made a famous speech. Everybody's familiar with it. You know, mm-hmm. ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. In the mm-hmm. 60 years since then, it's it's just 
what are you going to do for me? Well, yeah. 62, 62 years uh, – well, yeah, 62 years, you're right. And 60 years ago today, he was assassinated. That's mm. right. Yeah. Uh, sorry, terrible. sorry, 59 years ago. Yeah. Well, it's it just it, – it goes – like, no one – wants to work anymore. Work is a four-letter word in the minds of many people. And what I mean by that is it's become a bad word. Yeah. And and if you're having to work, it's because someone oppressed you. And you're having to work to make ends meet because someone out there is big and bad, and you wouldn't have to work if everybody just paid their fair share. And all this gobbledygook that is completely uh, a load of hooey. You have me convinced, Chris. I'm quitting this show right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, Frank said, I don't have enough faith to be on this show anymore. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, Chris, uh, coming up on a break pretty soon here. By the way, uh, stay tuned in the next half hour. A couple of guests. Uh, we're hoping to talk to uh, someone from Operation Christmas Child, but also uh, we have a guest to talk about this uh, uh, respect for Mary Jack. That's what the Democrats are mm-hmm. calling this. Mm-hmm. Boy, they're getting really good at giving names to bills that are totally false and have nothing to do with the agenda of the Democratic Party. It's called deception, Fred. That's how the devil works. Yeah, you got that right, Frank. You want to sell something bad, you you, you put flowery-sounding moral words on it, and everyone goes, oh, this is great. Yeah. Affordable Care Act Yeah, being uh, being one of them. People have an issue with the Patriot Act, spying on stuff. That's been a good 20 years ago. Yeah. Uh, There there was somebody... um, and I, I, the name escapes me, but we had a legislator that was basically like, uh, name the bill what it does act or something like that, where it was literally like, you have to be open and honest the with Name people. the bill what it does act? <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the don't say gay bill, something, that one that yeah. they tried to say, yeah. Uh, Parental rights and education bill. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, that's what it was, yeah. All right, All right Chris. Uh, real quick, I just wanted to mention this. Uh, obviously, um, even though you don't hear about it on the news, uh, you, mainstream news, uh, television or radio, you don't see it in print, uh, we do still have a border crisis, uh, and a lot of people are saying Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, who were in charge and the ones that could immediately do something about this, they're not doing anything. And uh, Representative Kat Kamek uh, from the great state of Florida was on uh, Fox & Friends today, and she wants the uh, border security issue to be a national security issue. Do we have time for the 30-second clip? Okay, this is clip six. We have 300 people a day that are overdosing or dying of fentanyl poisoning. This is a real issue that is impacting every single community in America today. And it is all stemming from this open border. And now with the end of Title 42, we know for a fact that we're going to go from 7,000 encounters a day to over 18,000 a day. It's an open border. We have lost operational control. And people in everyday America are paying the price sometimes with their lives so true and yet our head of homeland security frank alejandro mayorkas told a a hearing last week that our border is secure yeah he actually told my congressman here in north carolina that dan bishop who asked him the question is is the is the border secure and he said oh yes it is and everyone knows it isn't it's just a blatant lie and i guess they're depending on the mainstream media frank just to to run cover for them uh, not that's why pick. you need to listen to American Family Radio, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, that's right? it exactly. Uh-huh. Hey, listen, uh, and and it is so important. Where you get your news is important, folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really is. And how the journalism business has changed since I got into it over forty years ago. There used to be a pride factor in journalism that you wrote a story so nobody would know your bias. That's mm. that was your goal. But today, uh, it's. You know, everybody, go ahead and put your bias out there. There's only one truth. It's our truth, whatever our bend is. And uh, we're just going to put it out there because, and we we know there are other facts that refute what we're saying, but we're not going to talk about that. And Frank, you're right. Uh, thank God for American Family Radio and the great programs that we have here on American Family Radio, like your program, Cross-Examined. And uh, don't have enough faith to be an atheist. And we'll to talk a little bit more about that when we come back after the break. Sounds All good. right, you're listening to the Tuesday edition of Today's Issues. Back in just a few moments. AFR programming is now available on Alexa. You're joking, right? Nope, not joking. Seriously? Yep, this is not a drill. Wait a minute, no way. There's a way. The Alexa way. 
So if you just happen to miss your favorite shows, no worries. You can now listen to each podcast with Alexa. It's simple and it's free. Just visit AFR.net forward slash apps and click Alexa. We're not joking. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. Hey, we're going to Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, in June and September of 2023. And we're going to have a wonderful time seeing Washington and seeing Mount Vernon, the home of George Washington. We're going to go there on the Saturday. We're there. Everywhere we go, Stephen McDowell will be giving us a talk on the Christian heritage of America. And that's very important, and it's lost in much of our popular culture today. But Stephen McDowell of the Providence Foundation is a dear brother and has been going with me on these tours for many, many years. I just wouldn't do it without him. He is just an invaluable source, if you will, of information. So we're going to Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and George Washington's Mount Vernon. And then we're also going to Jamestown, Williamsburg, and Yorktown. If you want to go with us, then go to the website, spiritualheritagetours.com. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starn. Stand by for news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make the switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. If you're a Christian business owner or pastor, listen up. Congress is about to unleash the Internal Revenue Service on your church and your business. Democrats and a number of Republicans are pushing through a piece of legislation called the Respect for Marriage Act. In truth, it's the Disrespect for Marriage Act. It would codify gay marriage across the nation, federal law. But tucked inside the bill is a provision that would authorize the IRS to remove the tax-exempt status from any church or nonprofit that refuses to support same-sex marriage. So here's how it plays out in real life. Pastors who refuse to marry same-sex couples will put their church's tax-exempt status at risk. Christian bakers will face lawsuits. Faith-based adoption agencies may shut down altogether. So call your elected leaders today and tell them to vote no on the Disrespect for Marriage Act. The fate of religious liberty hangs in the balance. I'm Todd Stearns. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Jeremiah 29, 13. American Family Radio. This is today's issues. Email your comments to comments at AFR.net. Past broadcasts of today's issues are available for listening and viewing in the archive at AFR.net. Now, back to more of today's issues. And welcome back. Uh, Fred Jackson sitting in for Brother Tim today and uh, at his way also with me in studio is Chris Woodward. And joining us from Charlotte, North Carolina or thereabouts is our good friend Frank Turek. Frank, uh, apologetics. Yes. Sometimes when people hear that and, and that's your kind of full-time ministries. So does that mean Frank would go around, goes around and apologizes? Yeah, that's what it sounds like. But actually, it comes from a Greek word, apologia, which means to give an answer, to give a defense. That's what Peter says in his first letter where he says, always be ready to give an answer or a reason for the hope that you have. That's what we're doing. We're trying to give people evidence that Christianity is true because, as you know, Fred, there's a difference between belief that and belief in. Belief that is just believing that God exists or that Jesus rose from the dead. But even the demons believe that. Right. I mean, that's that's what James says. He says, even the demons believe that God exists, but they tremble. What they don't do is they don't trust in Jesus. They believe that he is the savior, but they don't trust in him. So you can believe that something's true and still not trust in it. And for salvation to get our moral transgressions forgiven, we just can't believe that God exists and that Jesus rose from the dead. We have to trust in Jesus, and that's what we try and do on college campuses is we give them evidence that it's true. Then they have to make the decision as to whether or not they're going to accept it and trust in it. What is the reception like mostly? Because you go to secular universities. Oh, yeah. What yeah. what's the reception? First of all, I'm amazed you get invitations, but you know there are groups of Christians, I guess, on these campuses. You get an invitation. Yep. Do you ever run into 
some opposition at those meetings? Oh, yeah, sure. You can see it on our website, on our Cross-Examined YouTube channel, two words, Cross-Examined. We stream every event uh, that we go to, so you can see it live. And uh, we get atheists that come to the microphone and ask questions. And I normally ask atheists uh, this question, and the question is, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? And I've had many atheists stand at their microphone in front of hundreds of people and say, no. I say, no, wait a minute. I thought you claimed to be reasonable. And I ask you, if something were true, would you believe it? And you say, no. How's that reasonable? How's that rational? The answer is it's not. The problem is not in the head. The problem's in the heart. They don't want it to be true. They don't want there to be a God. Why? Because they want to be God of their own lives. They're not on a truth quest. They're on a happiness quest. And by the way, many Christians are on a happiness quest too. We, we just want to believe whatever we think is going to make us happy rather than what really is true. And so I always ask people, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? And many people will say no. Uh, I've noticed, Fred, that many people are looking for God like a criminal's looking for a cop, right? <laughs> They're not interested. They want to go their own way. And yeah. particularly, and maybe in the next hour we'll talk about this a little bit and also tomorrow, what are some ways you can get people to start thinking more about the truth of Christianity while you're having a dinner with them this uh, weekend or this uh, Thanksgiving week or as we go into the Christmas holidays? So we'll talk about some of those ways you can get people to think. Also, I want to congratulate you on the uh, guest that you had last weekend on your program, uh, Dr. Imes. Yes, Dr. Carmen Imes. Yeah, she teaches at Biola. Yeah. Yeah, she's, uh, she studied one verse for five years, Fred. <laughs> Rejoice evermore. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. No, it was, it was, I think it was Exodus 20, uh, 20 verse 7, you know, uh, in one of the Ten Commandments, which says uh, you should, should not take the Lord's uh, name in vain. Yeah. And, of course, we, I've always been taught, maybe you have too, that just means you can't use it flippantly, right? You, right, you know, yeah. You, 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 don't, you don't use the Lord's name in a, in a blasphemous way or in a flippant way. But she points out that the real interpretation of that, and she says there's 23 different interpretations, <laughs> <laughs> but she thinks the right one is do not bear the Lord's name in vain, meaning you, you and I and all people listening right now, if we're Christians, we're bearing God's name wherever mm. we go, and we have to put forth a, a true view of God and true behavior from God. We're bearing his name. So that's really what it's about. And Dennis Prager, the Jewish uh, radio host who uh, has actually written a commentary on Exodus, said, yes, what it really means is don't do evil in the name of God while you bear his name. And, of course, the positive side of that would be do good things in the name of God while bearing his name. I, she made a really interesting point, and, and correct me if I'm misinterpreting here, but mm -hmm. she talked about the fact that man is made in God's image. Mm -hmm. But as Christians, we are to bear that image in our behavior. Is, yes. is that a, a correct assumption? Yeah, I think that's correct. I think that's what she said. Everybody bears God's image, whether they're Christians or not. But Christians bear his name. Mm. Right. We all bear his image, but Christians are bearing his name. Oh, you're a Christian. Oh, what, well, that your behavior ought to be different than everyone else. Right. Yeah. Not because that behavior saves us, but because we are saved. That's the behavior we exhibit out of gratitude for what Christ has done for us. You know, we were talking about uh, former President Kennedy. Mm. I'm not sure if it was you. I, I listened to a lot of programs on AFR, but uh, someone was mentioned the other day. When Kennedy was president, he invited Billy Graham to go down to Florida to have a game of golf with him. Wow. And one of the questions he asked Billy Graham is, do you believe Jesus is going to return to this earth? And Billy Graham said, yeah, I, I certainly believe that, that Jesus is coming again. And, and, and former President Kennedy said this, then why don't Christians talk more about that? Mm, mm. And I, 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 that's stunning. But it was very, uh, he, he, what a perception from a, from a man, I don't think, who claimed to be a born-again believer. Right. But he wondered why Christians, and I, I think to the point with that we don't celebrate the what I believe is the soon return of Jesus Christ, but also that Christians, as you're pointing out and as your guest pointed out, that people don't know that we're Christians because we try to behave like the world so many times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do. And unfortunately, a lot of people 
look at Christians who don't bear his name well and assume, well, Christianity must be false then. Well, there's a counter to that as well. And here's one of the things you can say over a holiday dinner. When somebody plays Beethoven poorly, who do you blame? Right? You don't blame Beethoven. Yes. Right. And when so when somebody plays Jesus poorly, you don't blame Jesus because newsflash Christianity is not Christians. Christianity is Jesus. So we have to keep our eyes on the source, not the bad imitations of the source. And this is a point that John Dixon, a, uh, a historian from down under, makes in his book, Bullies and Saints, that when somebody plays Beethoven poorly, you don't blame Beethoven. You blame uh, the player. And uh, so, yeah, we're falling. We don't we don't always live up to the standards that Christ wants us to live up to. Of course, if we could live up to those standards perfectly, we wouldn't even need a savior. You know, sometimes I tell people, I say, um, do you realize you can get to heaven by being good? You can. You just got to be perfect your whole life. Too late for me. Right? (laughs) How about you? I mean, technically, if, if we never sinned, we wouldn't need a savior, but we've all sinned. So we do. Amen. And thank God that Jesus came to that's pay, right. pay the price for that sin. And that's right. That's one. Of, that's the major thing we can be thankful for uh, all year round, mm-hmm. not just during Thanksgiving. All right. Uh, news of the day. Uh, one of the things that we believe in here is being salt and light. Uh, Chris is why we try to do news from a a Christian perspective because we do believe in absolute truth, mm-hmm. and it makes it tough sometimes to cover politics. It does. It does, uh, but that is uh, <laughs> the nature of the beast, if that's the uh, correct use of the phrase here. You know, we don't pick and choose the topics, uh, but we uh, we do cover them uh, from a Christian perspective, as you mentioned. Um, I want to mention this real quick because it plays into something that we as a ministry try to do, that being share a pro-life message. We've aired this audio before, but I want to play it again because it's still getting reactions, still making headlines. It's Senator Chuck Schumer of New York last week calling for amnesty for all illegals because he says people aren't producing babies as much as they used to. Clip seven. I believe in this so much. I believe in it in a personal basis because I know dreamers who have been such great people here in America and who have just struggled. Every time they get a phone call, every time they walk down the street, they're worried. Will someone grab them and take them away? So that's personal about them and what they have done. But I also believe in it as an overall, as an American who wants to see our country be stronger. Because immigrants make us stronger now more than ever. Now more than ever. We're short of workers. Uh, We have a population that is not reproducing it on its own with the same level that it used to. The only way we're going to have a great future in America is if we welcome and embrace immigrants, the dreamers, and all of them, because our ultimate goal is to help the dreamers but get a path to citizenship for all 11 million or however many undocumented there are here. Now, real quick, uh, we've had millions of babies aborted since Roe v. Wade in the early 1970s. Some, if not many of those babies aborted, have been in his home state. The reason we are in a population crisis is because of a big thing that he himself supports along with all the people he caucuses with. Yeah, Frank, uh, I think the good senator speaks with forked tongue. Uh, Yeah, I think if you could die from inconsistency, he'd have been dead right there. Yes. Because on one hand, he's he's trying to use our population problem as a way of getting any undocumented person in this country, getting them citizenship ahead of people who are waiting in line, rightfully, by the way. Mm -hmm. Yet on the other hand, he's all abortion all the time. I mean, he, here, here, here's a guy that apparently thinks only some lives matter. In fact, last I, I, I checked, there are more black babies aborted in New York City than there are born babies, black babies in New York City. And, and here he is, the senator from New York. Yeah, it's just, uh, and of course, he had a supportive crowd around him. I remember watching that particular news conference. I think it was on the steps of the Capitol mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And, and and as soon as he said that, I thought, you hypocrite. You, you, you're the same guy who stands there and, and advocates for basically abortion on demand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yet you're complaining about the, the, the population. I, I, I just... Sometimes, you know, I guess for the most part, you learn to expect no better from politicians. But this in particular, coming on the heels of the Supreme Court decision and then all 
and an election campaign where the Democrats made abortion their big issue. And yet he has the audacity to stand out there. One of the things he said was remarkable, too, in that little cut you just played. He said, these dreamers, uh, they're always worried about a knock on the door. Mm-hmm. Well, why are they worried about a knock on the door? It's because they've entered the country illegally. Mm-hmm. And so that's why they're afraid, you know, enter the country legally and you're not going to be afraid of a knock on the door. Yeah. And by I the think, way. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, Chris, uh, by the way, everybody believes in borders. Does Senator Schumer have a lock on his door? Yes. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Okay. The only question is, where does the border go? And uh, quite obviously, just like in the Bible, there were there was a wall around Jerusalem, right? I mean, there's there are borders and borders need to be respected. And every state and country has the right to protect its borders. And, and particularly now what's going on with terrorists coming over the border, drugs coming over the border, sex traffickers coming over the border. If for no other reason we have to secure the border is to prevent those things from coming over. We want legal immigrants to come into this country, but it has to be done in an orderly way. Just like you don't, you, you, you have to have a lock on your door or you're going to be overrun. You're just making too much common sense there, Frank. Well, that's what we try and do, yeah, hopefully. Exactly. But common sense is not so common today anymore, Fred, unfortunately. That's for sure. We're uh, feeling, we're not thinking anymore. Yes, and we talked about deception a lot in politics. Mm. And the latest, one of the latest examples of deception coming out of Washington is this bill called the Respect for Marriage Act. And it is anything but when it comes to respecting traditional biblical marriage. And uh, there's a fight on right now, and unfortunately, there are Republicans that are helping Democrats pass this Respect for Marriage Act, which a lot of people are saying Disrespect for Marriage Act. And with us to to kind of highlight this this morning is Mary Beth Waddell. She's the Director of Federal Affairs for Family and Research Liberty at the Family Research Council. Mary Beth, welcome to the program. Hi, it's great to be with you. Mary Beth... Were you shocked somewhat last week when uh, they did a procedural vote on this uh, Respect for Marriage Act? First, uh, maybe we ought to explain because some folks may not be aware of what's happening in Washington with regards to this particular bill. Explain the bill to us. Absolutely. So the Respect for Marriage Act, uh, as you rightly pointed, is a misnomer uh, that it really is the Disrespect for Marriage Act. Uh, This is a bill that would create a private right of action, meaning that activists, not just the government, uh, can sue individuals. And so this will supercharge the attacks on people and organizations of faith that believe in natural marriage that we've been seeing over the last couple of years, uh, even before Obergefell. This will tacitly vilify millions of Americans who still believe in natural marriage because it labels that belief as sex discrimination, tantamount to racism. It's going to subject business owners to even more costly litigation, and it threatens the tax-exempt status of faith-based nonprofits. There's a lot in here uh, to be concerned about. Now, Mary Beth, wait a minute. We had Democrats and Republicans telling us, some Republicans, that there were amendments made to this. That would protect us against legal action uh, for those of us who believe in marriage should only be between one man and one woman. Uh, So what happened there? Are there protections in there or not? The protections that it offers are very, very minor and minuscule. It really provides no meaningful, affirmative, affirmative or enforceable shield of protection to people of faith. Um, They added Section 6 and Section 7 that give a nod to religious liberty and protection of tax-exempt status, things like this. But the language that is used is not strong enough. It's not actually protective. Um, It just reiterates what's pre-existing regarding religious liberty and conscience rights, which all of these individuals who have been sued in this space uh, have already had access to. And it still didn't prevent uh, Jack Phillips from being sued uh, Mr. Vanderboon from facing what he faced with uh, the Department of Agriculture, Bernal Stutzman, and what she faced uh, with her florist uh, business, and on and on and on. All of these individuals that 
Catholic Charities in Philadelphia uh, when they were stopped from providing adoption and foster care. You know, um, all of these entities, you know, this existed for them and really didn't provide any protection. You know, maybe there was some semblance of justice in the end if they won their case. But even in the case of Jack Phillips, he was sued again, you know, um, and so it still is allowing um, this assault that we're seeing and supercharging it. Um, the, the tiny little protection that actually is in the bill comes in Section 6B. Um, but if you look at it, it lists a number of activities. It lists a number of entities that are supposedly, supposedly protected. But the operative, legally uh, significant language requires you to have a religious enough purpose and then only protects you from solemnizing or celebrating a marriage, meaning the actual performance of a marriage. And all of these situations that we've seen, the attacks on religious liberty and people of faith, it's not in the actual performance of a wedding. It is in a whole host of other areas. Um, so this language uh, is really uh, insignificant to actually protect the attacks that we're seeing. Frank, uh, I would be very suspicious of this, and if I was a 501c3 Christian organization, uh, I think you uh, you better beware. Yeah, not only that, I, I'm concerned just about individuals, as Mary Beth is talking about. You know, uh, these uh, the folks on the left always put in these these uh, shell sort of protections for organizations that aren't really protections at, at all, as Mary Beth is saying. And yet that doesn't protect the average person, doesn't doesn't protect the average person listening. You know, if you're not part of an organization, what, you suddenly lose your rights as, a, as an American to uh, believe what you can believe and, and to live the way you want to live? Uh, so it, it seems to me that many of these organizations, churches included, kind of sell their people out. Oh, we're protected as a church, but you, the guy or gal sitting in the pew, you're not protected because of this. This makes no sense at all, uh, and I hope this is rejected. Now, Mary Beth, who are the senators that need to be convinced that this is not a good idea? And you only need to convince uh, like 41 of them because uh, otherwise it, uh, the, the, the filibuster requires you to have at least 60 votes in order to move this forward. So who are the senators that need to be called on this, Mary Beth? Yeah, um, and actually if we can just get three or four mm-hmm. – um, that's all we need. You know, we've already had a 60-vote threshold mm-hmm. vote. We still have two more to go. So if any of the 12 who voted yes the first time, if three or four of those uh, change their vote, then we can stop this. Uh, those 12 uh, were Senator Blunt of Missouri, Senator Burr of North Carolina, uh, Senator Capito of West Virginia, uh, Senator Collins of Maine, Senator Ernst of Iowa, Senator Lummis of Wyoming, Senator Murkowski of Alaska, Senator Portman of Ohio, Senator Romney of Utah, Senator Sullivan of Alaska, Senator Tillis of North Carolina, and Senator Young of Indiana. Now, uh, Mary Beth, uh, we're talking with uh, Mary Beth Waddell. She's the Director of Federal Affairs for Family Research Liberty at the Family Research Council. Now, uh, some of these folks, uh, some of these Republican senators are retiring. However, um, is it your expectation, Mary Beth, that uh, Democrats will try to shove this through before the new Congress in January? Oh, certainly. You know, I mean, this was the first thing they took up as soon as they came back. Uh, the next vote is going to be Monday as soon as they come back after Thanksgiving. Um, and then within a couple of days, maybe the Wednesday or Thursday following will be um, another, the final 60-vote threshold. Uh, and then there will be a vote uh, after that at some point on final passage of the bill. So, yes, this is certainly moving, certainly a priority um, that they want to get accomplished uh, this Congress. Mary Beth, there is a religious liberty issue here, but there's also a fundamental problem with supporting same-sex marriage at the national level. What is the reason that it's not a good idea to to say that same-sex relationships are the moral and legal equivalent of natural relationships between a man and a woman? What does that do for children? Absolutely. That is where the, the real concern or a big portion of the concern comes from. You know, children deserve a mother and a father. And this is giving uh, 
legislative, legal, congressional approval to motherlessness and fatherlessness that is intentional. You know, yes, there are amazing single parents out there that are doing three to four jobs to care for their kids, and they deserve a high praise and an award, but there's not, there should not be intentional approval of intentional motherlessness or fatherlessness. Um, we know that it is best for children to be raised in a home with their mother and father. Yeah, the the real problem with same-sex marriage is it makes marriage genderless. And what it does is it institutionalizes missing parents. It says that it's a legally equally good thing to have, say, uh, a mother and a father is, is, or I should say two fathers or two mothers, uh, that's equally as good as a mother and a father for a child. And we know it's not. Mother and fathers are different. Mothering and fathering is different. And really, the people that have brought same-sex marriage to us, it might be shocking, it's really not the LGBTQ community. It's Christians who have bought into the idea that marriage is just a, a romantic affinity that you have with someone. And as soon as you lose that romantic affinity, you can move on to somebody else regardless of children. We're really the ones that brought this on, so we need to turn it around. Amen. I just wanted to point out that uh, last week on his radio program Washington Watch which we air every day uh, at 4 Central here on AFR. Tony Perkins talking about the 12 Republican senators that joined Democrats in advancing this legislation. Tony said quote remember those names. They've sold out people of faith in this country. Mark my words. Write it down. We had that quote on AFN.net and I have shared the link to that article on our Facebook page so if you were watching the show on Facebook uh, you can uh, look in the comments and get that link. It's still available on AFN.net as well if you want more uh, on this vote. Now, Mary Beth, uh, I'm sure the uh, the politicians have all gone home for the Thanksgiving break, but they'll be back at this uh, this time next week. What can folks do uh, with regards to pressuring those Republicans to stand their ground, as you say, need four more uh, from that 12 uh, that voted four more. There are some like Susan Collins, Markowski from Alaska. Uh, they're going to do what they're going to do. But there are Republicans that uh, that are going to need those votes again in, in a couple of years. So what can folks do? What action can they take? Absolutely. This is not over. And there are still actions that uh, constituents and folks at home need to take. And you can go to frcaction.org slash marriage. That's frcaction.org slash marriage. And you can uh, send a note to your senator about this. Um, you know, their Senator Lee has an amendment that he's trying to proffer to really uh, show and fix their religious liberty concerns here. Um, and so just elevating these concerns, making sure they are known uh, and just really reiterated uh, to these individuals uh, will go a long way. Mary Beth, thank you so much. Mary Beth Waddell, Director of Federal Affairs for Family and Research Liberty at the Family Research Council. Thanks so much for joining us. And, and uh, may you have a great Thanksgiving uh, with you and your family. Thanks so much. You as well. All right. You take care. All right. Uh, first hour has screamed by. So much to talk about. But there's more ahead for this edition of Today's Issues. When we come back, uh, Steve Jordan from the newsroom will be joining us. But, Frank, we also want to talk about the Thanksgiving table conversation. Yeah, the how... top ten reasons to advance the gospel over dinner this uh, Thanksgiving. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into some of them. Right? All right. Sounds great. So don't go away, folks. Much more ahead here on this edition of Today's Issues. We're back right after news at the top of the clock. We'll see you at about 11.05.